Um, we didn't succeed very much in terms of corruption. There is two uh, uh, corruption in the judiciary, but we set up uh, structures that dealt with, uh, you know, corruption. Because uh, any judiciary that is not based on uh, one cardinal value, and that is uh, integrity, will not have the confidence, you know, uh, of the people. Welcome to What's Ethical, a podcast sponsored by Warburton Advisors, where thought leaders engage on how they influence others and master ethical dilemmas, all with the aim towards helping listeners deliver a triple bottom line. I'm your host, Beth Haddock, and we are here at Pawa 254's office overlooking uh, Nairobi, a fitting location for a discussion with today's guest, the Honorable Dr. Willie Matanga. Before retiring, he was the 14th Chief Justice and the first President of the Supreme Court, Republic of Kenya. Retired Chief Justice Matanga has been an activist in various civil society organizations, and he's known for promoting transparency and the right of access to information under Kenya's constitution. His ideas were not always accepted. As a change agent, before he was rewarded, he was punished with arrest, imprisonment, and exile. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, thank you. With your efforts to reform Kenya's judiciary, Mm -hmm. what are some of the advances in transparency that you were uh, most proud of? Let me just begin with uh, what we called uh, humanizing of the justice system in Kenya, because the history was that the judiciary was opaque. Uh, It was too, uh, you know, colonial in its cultures and uh, approaches. And we wanted a judiciary that would build build people's confidence in the institution. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, in terms of judicial culture, we, we did a lot of things, uh, including serious debates on uh, whether we should wear wigs and colonial robes. Uh, the, uh, we came up with pledges so that uh, judges could talk to people and uh, promise that they will be heard and they will be treated uh, with uh, respect. Uh, we. One of the pledges was that, you know, judicial officers should have eye contacts with uh, advocates, and uh, that is attorneys, and also the litigants. And uh, uh, so, so, so that culture basically was about uh, making sure that the people started having confidence, you know, in the, in the judiciary. And here we are talking about the 5% of Kenyans who come to the formal you know, to the formal courts. We also looked at the buildings mm. and uh, realized that those structures are also part of the problem. And uh, a lot of the courthouses that have been built uh, since 2011 reflect a lot of that caring, a lot, a lot of that uh, humanizing of justice system. The uh, pl- uh, spaces for people with the disability, uh, spaces for uh, what we call uh, 
we call them, uh, where am I forget, COCs, uh, those are uh, court users committees. We never, very, very court so that the, the public can come in and criticize uh, the, you know, the judiciary. And uh, we, we called that transformation, transformation from the margins. We picked spaces where we thought we could uh, achieve something. And the the first one that occurred to me when I when I joined the judiciary was that uh, tea was not drunk by everybody in the judiciary. It's the, the the senior judges and magistrates and their drivers and secretaries who actually had tea, and we democratized uh, you know the drinking of tea because we had the the, the budget. So we said tea will be. Uh, given to everybody at 11, you know, with the bitings. And of course, uh, if you are going to ch change an institution, you have to change those who are inside. And that was important for the judicial staff. And we also fol followed through on issues of promotions, for example, uh, on the basis of merit, uh, being a, a conscious of the constitutional decree that uh, women must have uh, at a minimum of a third in the leadership and in the courts. Uh, we created the Judicial Training Institute. Uh, judges used to say, well, who will train us and about what? And uh, ultimately, they realized that they need to be trained, that the issues they were dealing with were not legal-centric. Uh, we once had a case on uh, digital migration and we knew nothing about the spectrum or what that was all about. We had to call in the scientists mm -hmm. and the people, economists and others who knew a lot about it and we were educated uh, on that particular issue. So the, the arrogance of the legal profession that they are learned, that, that we are learned, is something that we try to be to show that we, as a profession, we're very, very, very ignorant of other disciplines that we interact with and where we should be uh, uh, students. Um, we didn't succeed very much in terms of corruption. There is two uh, uh, corruption in the judiciary, but we set up uh, structures that dealt with uh, you know, corruption, because uh, any judiciary that is not based on uh, one cardinal value, and that is uh, integrity, will not have the confidence, you know, uh, of the people. So creating a culture where uh, everybody in this country knew that uh, no judge will even think of taking a bribe was something that we also, you know, was also part of the uh, our transformation and as I said we were very flexible we uh, we uh, we were very persuasive and we made sure that the institution was operated as a unit because uh, before then the judiciary was also divided was in, on the basis of ethnic uh, issues and religious issues uh, etc yeah thank you it's um... <clears throat> fascinating and inspiring when I think of 
um, as you were saying, sort of these ministers of justice within organizations. Yes. There's a lot that they can learn mm -hmm. um, from your experience. And, and as I'm listening to you, I think of all the components of the governance program within organizations. Mm -hmm. Training is at the core. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you're not thoughtful about your outreach, you really lose an opportunity. Mm -hmm. The pledges that you talked about and the transparency are sort of embedded Mm -hmm. in um, in our audience as they are out there trying to write the protocols that are the code of ethics yes. about the importance yes. of integrity. Mm -hmm. Also about um, not being too arrogant because you are the gatekeeper and you mm -hmm. are the one that is there mm -hmm. um, to, to have that duty, which is a very serious and important duty. But if one isn't um, open enough to continue to learn, mm -hmm. um, so this way you can be more effective. Um, I do think if you're uh, closed, then you do lose that confidence. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so mm -hmm. it's the humanizing that mm -hmm. I um, that thank you for mm -hmm. for sharing. Um, you've accomplished quite a bit, and I imagine that you're very good at understanding people. I know you're known for being um, a quite skilled negotiator. That's also an important skill for our listeners. Mm -hmm. They need to not mm -hmm. only know how to advocate for the transparency and the good governance and what the law is, um, but also how to work with the other stakeholders mm -hmm. uh, to make that progress. Mm -hmm. So um, it would be wonderful if you would share the strategies that you thought were effective um, as you were uh, I think you said sort of transformation from the margins. From the margins. Uh, yeah, and, mm -hmm. and how you earned your top, your reputation as a top negotiator. Let me say uh, the stakeholders. You know, um, the, the real fundamental stakeholder is the, the people themselves. I've just said that you've got to build the confidence mm -hmm. uh, in the uh, in, the, in the people who, who come to the to the courts, uh, and they feel those spaces are, are uh, safe uh, and you know corruption free, etc. But the legal profession is very, 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 very important, and we had uh, uh, serious convenings and meetings with the, the bar. Mm. Because the bar is complicit in, in, in this country uh, in, in issues of uh, corruption. And we wanted to, to basically make sure that there were not an impediment and that a judiciary that is effective, that is, uh, uh, that is uh, respectful, is good for business, it's, uh, for, the, yeah. for their business. So issues like uh, adjournments that were not uh, that were meant to subvert justice. Uh, issues of client and advocate uh, uh, confidential, you know, um, uh, contracts and whatnot. When the the attorney knew very well that they were keeping money for crooks and criminals, uh, people who uh, were involved in corruption, you know, issues like that, so uh, were really taken up. Uh, you know, with the uh, you know with, with the lawyers, and they helped us a lot in drafting bench books, you know, bail bond, uh, 
policy documents. Uh, I remember I was supposed to come up with rules for the implementation of the 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 human rights chapter, which is reflects the whole gamut of, of human rights. And there was no way I was going to do it without the collaboration of human rights groups, civil society organizations, the bar, uh, the uh, the academy, you know, because it's, that's very, 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 very important. The law professors uh, as well. So uh, we, we, there was this collaboration, which was which reflected uh, a serious collective intellect on on the the issues. Uh, and then we, we, we basically also looked at these issues as national issues, not just not issues of a legal profession. But they were broader. And that's when the whole notion of uh, making legal practice uh, more dis disciplinary and the whole issue of training, the lawyers themselves trained uh, the judges. So there was, there was a lot of collegiality. Uh, uh, and I think I was able to negotiate because a lot of, I had taught law in the 70s. So a lot of uh, influential people in parliament, in government, in the judiciary, in the legal profession were my students. And when you teach law, you always get students who like you and you get others who hate you. But the majority liked me, so I was able to use those uh, contacts, sure. you know, to basically, uh, you know, tell people that this can be done. And because I was external, I didn't, I didn't come from the judiciary. I was out when I was appointed. That was an advantage also in, in terms of. Uh, making people feel that uh, you are not out to, you know, to uh, punish people. You're just interested in making sure that the institution worked. And it's a very, very, very critical institution. Um, I took, I took up issues of dialogue, of course, with the president and the speaker, uh, because the constitution calls for. Uh, constructive engagement between the three arms of, of government. So uh, the president agreed to chair, you know, the dialogues. And uh, as I told you, uh, my message all the time was independence of the judiciary is, is important to everybody. The rule of law is important. And that they have to invest in a judiciary that is independent because they might use it in the future. You know, when they get into trouble, they don't want a uh, judiciary that is can be manipulated by their enemies. And uh, so that dialogue, uh, you know, was, was, was useful. And from it, I learned that uh, uh, even the insane have sane moments. So you have to keep on listening and, uh, and you know, and kind of sh uh, being conscious of their interests. Uh, every president, for example, wants to have a, a legacy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I used to ask uh, every president uh, to basically realize that if there are reforms in the judiciary, that is something they should be proud of. Yeah, thank you. We talk about it in terms of 
if, if one wants to uh, be effective in engaging people and incentivizing them, mm -hmm. thinking about the reputation of, of the person that you're speaking with mm -hmm. uh, is sort of a corollary to your legacy. Mm -hmm. We also do have, um, as you were mentioning, the attorney-client privilege yes. and the lawyers mm -hmm. um, really need to be the leaders. Yes. Uh, and we have whistleblowing Mm -hmm. uh, as a concept where those in our audience are under a requirement from the government the many are from the US so I'll just use as an example under the US laws mm -hmm. there's a requirement um, for um, for employees within an organization to report wrongdoing mm -hmm. but there's also personal liability for attorneys and compliance officers if they do not report what they've seen. Mm -hmm. So they all have a dual duty to the organizations of which they're working for, mm -hmm. as well as a duty to report to the government. Mm -hmm. So it does get very um, complicated and sometimes uh, there can be conflicts mm -hmm. between those that you're trying to negotiate with mm -hmm. and then your own duty for your profession. Mm -hmm. So talking about the collective engagement and the collaboration and the rest is is helpful. Have there been, when you think about incentivizing others as a leader, mm -hmm. have you um, have you thought about some approaches for leadership as you're talking about your students, right? Mm -hmm. Some, you mm -hmm. obviously are the leader as the professor. Mm -hmm. Did you at times come across an attorney that might have been one of your students that wasn't a, a big raging fan, but perhaps you were able to uh, still build a relationship and maybe give us some window into some skills that you've seen where everyone is going to have detractors. Mm -hmm. And how do you engage with those detractors or do you decide at a certain point not to and to really focus on those that you think you can have a constructive dialogue with? I think you start with those that the, the people who don't like you for you know, whatever reason. And when you are in power, you are Chief Justice, uh, giving a call to an attorney and saying, you know, can we have lunch? You know, um, that's, that's, that basically opens up, you know, there, there's some coercive power which, 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 which you are using uh, maybe unconsciously. Uh, but a, a lot of those uh, attorneys that I found it like my, you know, my reforms, uh, etc. was because, you know, they, they were not informed. Mm. So I had to reach out to them and convince them that this, this, this was good for them. And, and that caused for a lot of humility uh, um, because you are dealing with people who are egocentric. Mm -hmm. uh, but those are the people you, you, you have to talk to. It's like that parable in the Bible of uh, the shepherd who left the 99 sheep to look for one lost one. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a metaphor for dealing with the difficult, uh, the, uh, the difficult audience or the difficult st stakeholder. And when the others who are in the middle hear that you are now talking to uh, Beth, you know, um, so, 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 so that that's also you know is an important uh, uh, the tactic, and it comes from 
this humanizing of uh, of uh, uh, justice system that involves judges, involves the police, you know, the prosecutors, the prison, and uh, of course the bar, because that is the entire chain for the administration of justice. So. You, you, you've got to open, uh, you know, dialogues with those. Uh, make sure they are trained on what the Constitution is all about, what they can do and what they can't do. And um, that's why judges then become missionaries of justice, because you're preaching and you're doing that on a daily basis because you have a cause and, and you want converts and you want things to happen. Thank you. Um... One one remarkable thing as I was preparing for the podcast was to think about the fact that not only were you a change agent out there advocating for change, but then you successfully moved from advocate to fixer. And um, it's, a, it's a different skill to be one that criticizes to one that then has to fix what you were criticizing. So, uh, and it's, it's not a typical role for an attorney. Mm -hmm. um, how was that transition for you? Um, and as you know, a lot of the audience are potentially in that same situation. So anything that you could share with us about what you thought um, or sort of lessons, long, uh, lessons mm -hmm. learned along the way would be really helpful. When I became Chief Justice, the office of the CJ had two secretaries and eight bodyguards. It had no other capacity. And as head of the judiciary, I had so many uh, duties, administrative and, uh, and uh, judicial. So the, the first thing I did was to build the capacity of the office of the chief justice. I got somebody who became the chief of staff. Mm. I, uh, em I employed somebody who was the chief counsel, communications, auditor. Uh, because I, as the head of judiciary, I'm accountable for the, although I wasn't the chief accounting officer, but I needed to supervise, uh, you know, the chief, uh, um, accounting accounting officer. So with the help of donors, because the donors, because the uh, the government wasn't ready to increase the budget. Uh, I got money from the Ford Foundation, from European embassies and so forth, and I was able to do that, uh, you know, very quickly. Uh, uh, the communications person uh, helped me with uh, writing speeches. Mm -hmm. uh, the chief of staff chaired something called the National Council for the Administration of Justice, where the three arms will come together to discuss the problems and critique each other, so he used to do that. The chief counsel uh, gave me legal advice, uh, because I, the office of CJ got sued a lot. And I wasn't going to be, uh, you know, the person, uh, the person doing it. And above all, the auditor kept me out of trouble because the auditor would come and say there's corruption here, there's uh, all manner of things there. 
so 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 basically in terms of of uh, fixing i knew what was what needed to be fixed and even within the judiciary we had a team it wasn't just me it was a team of uh, men you know and the women who implemented the judiciary transformation framework you know for you know for four years and i made sure that the the the, the, the leadership was uh, transparent we created uh, an institution called the judicial leadership advisory council where everybody magistrates uh, the various courts because you have the supreme court you have the court of appeal you have the high court and then the magistracy so i wanted everybody to be involved and to know you know what 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 was going on but i think uh, a lot of those ideas didn't come from me because uh, you know attorneys although we can manage our own offices but we, we can't manage bigger institutions so once you become uh, chief justice you become also a leader of any uh, a political institution because judiciaries are in institutional political actors and you need a political scientist to tell you uh, how to negotiate with the politicians corporate types uh, how to i knew a, a bit about negotiating with ambassadors and uh, donors but there was uh, there was a lot you know i i didn't know and uh, in my memoir there's a chapter i, I call uh, uh, you know the demon that i didn't know mm -hmm. i was very critical of the judiciary as, as a human rights activist but i didn't know how difficult you know the, the uh, changing the institution was by the time i finished my conclusion was uh, that transforming a judiciary that is so expansive and so uh, bewildered and so you know opaque it's it's not uh, it's it's like you know turning a ship tanker and not a speedboat so uh, all we wanted to do is to make sure that this ship tanker was facing in the you know you know in the right direction and so it involved the work of uh, uh you know many people and we got uh, by the time i left the judiciary was what 48% uh, women and uh, you know 52 men but we also one counting the numbers we are counting the leadership mm. so uh, i'm quite certain the next chief justice will be a woman and so but women, for some strange reason, always applied for the deputy chief justice. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations. Yeah. I mean, when I think of a, a ship tanker, I also think of a house. Yeah. And it sounds to me as though what you built is quite a foundation for a house, if mm -hmm. not, not uh, in addition, the, the framework and some others. Because when, when you moved right from advocate to fixer, I'm hearing you talk about understanding what you didn't know mm -hmm. and getting a team and as you you know you put those five different mm -hmm. um uh leaders right mm -hmm. with you uh mm -hmm. instead of holding it all for yourself and it's uh, you know it's an extraordinary accomplishment because 
that teamwork. We all sort of struggle with it. Mm -hmm. um, it's we know the importance of it, but it's not always easy mm -hmm. uh, to be able to see your blind spots and to be able to do that. Uh, yeah, so congratulations. I like the of the, yeah, of the uh, uh, of the house yeah. because we realized we couldn't achieve everything, but we said let's have some reforms that are irreversible. You know, they are permanent and yeah. they are uh, irrevocable, and uh, we did you know, get some of those there, you know, they're still there. And uh, I also needed to mention, like, the, the judge was in charge of training, was the director of uh, training, Judicial Training uh, Institute, was a professor in Seattle, University uh -huh. of Washington, a Kenyan. And uh, we recruited him from there uh, to be uh, the, the director, because judges were saying who will train us. We don't want to be trained by people outside the judiciary. So we got this guy. Uh, he was brilliant and uh, he did a great job. Yeah, the external help sounds yes. as though it's crucial and that does happen in the big organizations where those in the audience mm -hmm. are leaders as well, mm -hmm. where they do go outside mm -hmm. for experts and sometimes if you do have a, a controversial issue or a massive change, yes, it's, uh, it's hard to do it without some sort of outside mm -hmm. influence. You may say the same thing, but sometimes mm -hmm. when a professor from Seattle or yes. an outside expert says it, um, from a different vantage point, it's mm. it's more poignant. Yes, uh, yes. It's, yeah. that's, true. that's yeah. true. Well, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Beth. Learn more about delivering a triple bottom line by visiting warburtonadvisors.com. And remember to share and like this podcast so others can find it more easily.